Welcome to The Ride. Life, Work, and Wealth podcast with your host, Chris Rowe. Chris, many years ago, was both a firefighter and a paramedic and witnessed many people not getting another tomorrow, and it shaped who he is now as a financial strategist. Chris doesn't just help people plan for a secure tomorrow, he helps them plan for a better today. Chris lives in Burlington, Ontario, and is an investment advisor at Green Private Wealth, a trade name of Harborfront Wealth Management, an IROC dealer. Let's get to it. The end of the year is staring us in the face, and Chris Durow is here with a financial checklist to wrap up before December 31st when it comes to your registered investment accounts. What are registered accounts? Well, that would be your TFSA, RESP, RRSP, and RIFs. Now, Chris, among all the acronyms you plan to cover, I think you've hit every letter in the alphabet. Yeah, in our industry, there's lots of abbreviations, I know. But yeah, so that's, there is things that you definitely want to consider in regards to, as you mentioned, registered accounts. And like, when you say that to people, they're going to be like, well, I have investments. I don't, some people are like, I don't know if it's registered or not. And you touched on that. It's exactly what you mentioned. We'll be touching on specifically today, the tax-free savings accounts, the RESP, which is the education savings plan for children, the RSP, which most people know what that is, and RIFs. So we'll just dive into this and go through some things you definitely want to pay attention to as we get closer to the end of the year. So I'll start with tax-free savings, and I'll do it in two parts. I'll do the first one on contributions. So have you taken advantage to maxing out this year? If you've never contributed or you have a zero balance in your tax-free savings account and you've not withdrawn anything from it this year to create the zero balance, you will have $81,500 of room if you've been over the age of 18 and a Canadian resident since a tax-free savings account was first available in 2009. If you'd maxed out your room, say last year, of $75,500, then you would have been given your $6,000 of additional room that the government gave us as of January 1st, 2022. If you've not maxed out your TFSA, or even if you're not maxed out and can't max it out right now, I urge you to put whatever you can into it if you don't need the money long-term. The reason is the tax-free savings account is a very important tool to have in your overall portfolio. And right now the market's down. Doesn't mean it can't go down further, but it's significantly down from a year ago. So it would be a good time to top it up if you can and have the growth sheltered tax-free once this market turns around. Also, if you're not sure of your room, it is very important to check since you don't want to accidentally over-contribute or you will be penalized by CRA. This happens every year to many Canadians because they'll have multiple tax-free savings accounts or they forget about one and they over-contribute. So you, you, you want to make sure about that. So what happens if you do go over the contribution room is you're going to have to pay Canada revenue 1% of the highest excess tax-free savings amount in the month for each month that that excess amount remains in your account. So you want to make sure you check your room. Call CRA or check your CRA online account and double check what that amount is. Keep in mind though, the number they're going to tell you is what the total amount is available for 2022. Therefore, if you've already contributed some this year, you need to subtract that amount from the amount CRA is telling you you have in 2022 because they they wouldn't have updated it yet for this year. Okay, so that's contributions. Just basically, if you have the cash flow, 
you want to put the money in and have it do its thing because the tax-free savings accounts, they're so important to have. And that's why I just really want to touch on that. Tax-free savings account withdrawals. Okay, so on the other side of tax-free savings planning, you definitely need to pay attention to this. We see lots of confusion on this from people. I'm going to go through a couple examples here on if the tax-free savings account is even for the year, if it's up for the year, and or if it's down for the year. And, you, and all of this is you're withdrawing the money this year from those three examples. So the first example is Bob. I'll use Bob. That's a simple name to use. He's even. So Bob maxed out his tax-free savings account this year, and which I had mentioned would be 81500 in 2022. He pulls it out, but he cannot put that money back in. So say Bob pulls it out right now and needs it for an emergency. He can't put that money back in until the following calendar year, which is now 2023. This is why we tell clients that they need large withdrawals from their tax-free savings account. It's best to wait until the end of the year, if you can, so that you can put it kind of right back in shortly in January. Now back to our example, let's say Bob pulls out the 81,500 in November, 2022. As I mentioned, he can now put that back in, in January, 2023, along with the new room, which will be available at this time, which is, it's either gonna be 6,000, which it's been for the last few years, or 6,500, depending on what the government's gonna let us to do, let us do, and we're gonna find out shortly in regards to that. But for simplicity reasons, let's just say they're going to stick to the $6,000 of extra contribution room this year. So therefore, Bob in January 2023 can put back the original amount that he pulled out, $81,500, plus now the new $6,000 of room as well. So then that's $87,500 that he can put in. Okay, so let's talk about Bob hit it out of the park this year, which would have been incredible because it's been a very tough market year. But let's say that he did and his tax-free savings account's higher. So he put in the 81500 for this year and it grew to $100,000. And he needed to withdraw it this year and took the whole $100,000 out. Well, in January 2023, he can now put back the $100,000 plus the additional $6,000 he'll get in January. So that's a total of $106,000 he can now put in in January. Basically, whatever you withdraw from your tax-free savings account, you can put back in the following calendar year, plus whatever amount the allow annual allowable contribution limit is for that year. So that sounds great. <laughs> Does it investments grow? You withdraw it, you don't lose that room. But now I'm going to go up and talk about the other side of when you withdraw, when the tax free savings account is down. Bob now put in 81500 his tax free savings account at the beginning of 2022. His tax free savings account goes down to $40,000. He's lost over half. And he has to withdraw it due to an emergency. Well, in 2023, guess how much he can put back in? Exactly what he took out, plus the new contribution room. So... He, puts, he can only put $40,000 back in and then the $6,000 of new room. So unfortunately, Bob will not get that room back in his tax-free savings account. He's crystallized that loss and the room going forward is gone unless he hits a home run with the $46,000 he's putting in in January 2023 and it increases significantly again. 
This is why it's so important to understand the withdrawals from your tax-free savings account when the market is down. And that's the scenario we're in right now with these tough markets is making sure that if, if people need it, like, you want to try to avoid withdrawing from a tax-free savings account if your investments have gone down significantly because you're limiting the amount of room you're going to have going forward. So in summary, it's just to make sure you people realize whatever amount you pull out of the tax-free savings account for that year, that is the amount you're able to recontribute the following year, whether it's up or down. Plus, of course, as I mentioned, you'll get that additional new year contribution room each year of at this time, $6,000 potentially going up to 6,500. Okay, so the next thing I wanna go over is RESP end of the year planning. So the education savings plans for children. We're getting close to the end of the year. So I wanna just touch on what parents and students can do before December 31st to maximize RESP benefits for this calendar year. So first, if your child turned 15 this year and has never been a beneficiary of an RESP, no Canadian education saving grants can be obtained in future years unless RESP contributions total at least $2,000 before the end of the calendar year they turned 15, or a minimum of an annual contribution of at least $100 was made in the last four previous years. So you need to consider making your contributions before December 31st to receive the current year's Canadian education savings grants and create eligibility for those grants for 2023 and 2024. So for parents listening, if your child's 15 this year, you want to make sure that you've contributed money either for the last four years of at least $100. And if you haven't done that, then $2,000 before the end of this year. So the child can continue to get grants for the next two years, because if not, then they can no longer get grants going forward. So turning 15 changes things when it comes to an RESP for children. You just want to as a parent, pay attention to that. Contributing to, uh, so basically contributing $2,500 per child in an RESP will get parents 20% of a Canadian education savings grant. So if you put in $2,500 for the child, you're going to get $500 in grant money. I also tell parents that for RESPs, it's basically, it's like you're getting a, a free 20% return on your money for the first $2,500 that you put in. So with education costs, like everything else only going up, it completely makes sense to do this. So even if you have an RESP and you usually contribute to it regularly for your kids, you wanna make sure you get your contributions in before December 31st to get the grants if you still have the room. If you don't, you can always, you don't lose it and you can always go back and double up the contribution if you have previous years of missed contribution room. So basically, if you've missed years, you can put $5,000 in per child as opposed to $2,500. And instead of getting just $500 of grants, you'll get $1,000 of grants. So you can go back and grab it, but you can't just go grab it all in one lump sum. You can only go back an additional year. Why I always try to urge parents to not go that route is because it gets much tougher for younger families to come up with $5,000 per child each year and then you got to always also, as I mentioned, watch the age of the child. So if you keep saying, no, no, like we're going to have more money this year in a couple of years, you keep saying, oh, I haven't lost the room. I just need to keep going and doubling up my contributions and make that up. Well, you got to pay attention that you can do that before the child turns 17, because as I mentioned above, 
as once they turn 15, it changes the grant rules. So you only have so many years before you can keep topping up and grabbing those additional grants. I hate to tell parents, but the bill of secondary education, it's coming, whether you like it or not, and it's not getting any cheaper. So if you have any extra cash flow, the RESPs are just a very important thing that you want to be able to contribute to. So that's the contributing. In regards to the withdrawing from an RESP, you want to pay attention as well to that at the end of the year, since if your child is an RESP beneficiary and attended a post-secondary educational institution in 2022, you want to consider having educational assistant payments, EAPs, which are basically, it's just, it's a word for the grant money that you're pulling out. And that's the money you've earned by making those contributions. So you want to make sure that you pull those out by before the end of the year. Although the amount of the educational assistant payments will be included in the student's income for 2022, depending on their income, perhaps from part-time or summer employment, these payment, these, this income is usually effectively tax-free. So it's not usually a tax burden for the students, but yeah, it's just, that's the part that you want to be pulling out before the end of the calendar year. Also, if your child is an RESP beneficiary and stopped attending a post-secondary educational institution in 2022, these educational assistant payments can only be paid out for up to six months after the student has left the school. So you may therefore wish to consider having final EAP payments made from the RESP of which the student is a beneficiary if it's not already too late. Since once that time's passed and the child's no longer attending school, you lose access to that grant money. There's still options to get the amount out you put in out of the RESP if the child no longer attends school, but you don't get the grant. So obviously you don't want to lose access to those grants. Oh, one other thing I'll touch on that, Patrice, is if you have a family RESP, so you have multiple kids in the same RESP and the older child doesn't use the grants, they can be passed to the younger child, but the younger child has to have that grant room available. So RESPs, people, they're not the easiest. It's just important to pay attention to them, especially when your child's turning 15 or when the child starts withdrawing from it and the last year the child's in school. Those three things you definitely want to pay attention to just to make sure that you're getting all the money that you're entitled to out of these. Okay, so moving along, we'll talk about RSP purchases for the end of the year. So now for your contributions account for the 2022 tax year, you have up to March 1st, 2023. Reason I'm mentioning it here that it may be a good time to contribute now as we get close to the end of the year is first of all, you have the money now that counts for something as opposed to maybe you don't have it in february the beginning of next year with cpp contributions that usually come off people's paychecks for the most part that's done for the year so people will a lot of people will have extra cash flow right now on their paychecks and that's also right now before the end of the year before christmas bills start to take over the beginning of next year so it may just be a good time to do before even though you have till march 1st just so it's not so much a hit when that time comes. And um, you don't necessarily have to do all of it. Maybe you want to do some now and some before March 1st. It's just maybe you have that cash flow now, and that's what I wanted to mention there. As well, market's currently down, as which helps. And I'm going to obviously keep adding. doesn't mean the market can't go down further. 
until March 1st, but you at least now know by putting money in, the market is down now considerably compared to where it was a year ago. So that's always something to take into consideration. Important thing to remember for anyone that has turned 71 this year is you can still do an RSP purchase up until December 31st of this year. If you're 71 this year, there are two situations. Why we're touching on this is because once you turn 71, you now have to turn this into a RIF, which I'm going to touch on in a second. So it's the last time, last year, you can put money into your own RSP if you're still, still have higher income. So if you're 71, there's two situations in which I want to talk about, about making allowable RSP contributions before you close out your RSP this year on December 31st. So you haven't, first one is you haven't maximized your RSP contribution in previous years and you have under, unused contribution room that has been carried forward. Or you've earned income in your final RSP year, which is this year, that gener generates RSP contribution room for the following year. So now, even if you're 71 this year and you have no RSP room left because you've maxed it all out, you still have higher income and you still want to contribute. There still is an option. You can basically what you can do is if you have income this year that's going to generate RSP contribution room for the following year in 2023, you can consider a final December this year over contribution before closing your RSP. So take advantage of the contribution room. You make a contribution this December before the RSP is officially closed. Since the contribution is being made this year and the current year's RSP room has been maximized, an over-contribution penalty will, will count for 1% per month. It applies to anything on any amount over $2,000. However, on January 1st, the over-contribution room disappears due to the RSP contribution room generated from the current year. So you can claim a tax deduction on next year's return or carry it forward to whichever future year you choose. So basically, I know that can sound a little confusing in a podcast, but if you're 71, you've maxed out all your RSP room, you're still working or have high income, you can contribute this December before you have to close that RSP because you're 72 next year and it's gotta be a riff. You over-contribute, and then as of January, that room now counts from the, from the previous year of, of working. So it just allows you to grab that one last little bit of RSP room that you've generated. Um, now, if you're over 71, but you're still working and have a higher taxable income, but you can't contribute to RSP, well, there's also still one more option for that. So now let's say you're 72 or older, it doesn't matter regardless of the age. If the individual still has RSP contribution room, that person can contribute to a spousal RSP prior to December 31st of the year that your spouse turns 71. So you're 75 years old. You still have unused contribution room and that. Well, if your spouse is younger and they have a spousal RSP, you can still contribute to that. So that a lot of people don't realize that. Therefore, you'd be able to claim a tax return deduction whenever it's most advantageous. And this strategy is particularly attractive if a client anticipates spouse's retirement income is going to be less than the client's own retirement income. The reason why I'm touching on this so much, on this part about being 71 and losing that opportunity for RSP contributions and how you can kind of get around that if you have a spouse and everything else is 
This is a growing trend. We're seeing a significant amount of people over the age of 71 continue to work. Um, some because they feel they need the cash flow, but others because they just simply want to keep working and, like, and enjoy what they're doing. So that's why I just wanted to touch on that. Okay, so RIFs, year of, end of year tax planning. Let me just give a quick refresher on what a RIF is because we're like, as we mentioned in the beginning, there's a whole bunch of mnemonics here that, uh, and abbreviations and stuff. So an RSP helps you save for retirement through annual contributions. A RIF helps fund your retirement through annual withdrawals. So you can convert your RSP to a RIF at any time before the end of the year in which you turn 71. You don't have to wait till you're 71. You can do it earlier if you want. You're required to start drawing RIF income by the end of the calendar year in which you turn 72. So to get a regular monthly or annual income stream from your RSP, you got to turn it to a RIF. Once you've converted your RSP to a RIF, you must take at least a minimum withdrawal amount from your RIF yearly. This is calculated as a percentage of the plan's total value at the beginning of the year. And then basically the percentage increases as you age. So your minimum withdrawal amount will too as well. If, you're, if you withdraw the minimum amount, no amounts withheld for taxes automatically. So be aware of the tax bill coming in April for that. We always set up extra withholding taxes for our clients if we're just taking the minimums, just because it keeps the cash flow smoother for them and they don't get hit with this tax bill at the end of the year, possibly creating the pain of having to make tax installments the following year. So any amount you withdraw over that minimum will automatically withhold taxes. So if you take $5,000 more than your minimum, automatically 10% is withheld. If you take between five to 15,000, 20% is automatically withheld. And if you take over 15,000, 30% is automatically withheld. Now with our clients that have large RIFs, we want to see if it makes sense to max out the current tax bracket they're in. So this is what I was getting into is into RIF end of year tax planning. Let's say they've just creeped into a different higher tax bracket this year and have lots of money in a RIF. It may be advantageous for them to take more income than they need to max out this bracket since they're already in it. Because if you already creeped into it, you might as well max it out. Now you have to take into consideration things like affecting the like income tested government benefits. An example of that would be old age security. So there's, there's other things to look at here too. I'm just trying to give people the idea of why you want to look at this tax planning with your RIF towards the end of the year if you just creeped into a tax bracket. It's important to basically withdraw strategically out of this. However, if you just creeped into a tax bracket and you have lots of money, like a significant size RIF, well, you've got a significant tax burden there that's coming, whether you like it or not. So it may make sense to pay a bit more tax now to pay less later. That's the whole rationale around this end of year RIF planning, especially if you have room in your tax-free savings account so that you can take extra money from your RIF, pay the tax in the bracket you're already in, max it out, and then have the money go to your bank and then contribute that same amount back to your tax-free savings account or your spouse's tax-free savings account. Well, now you've paid a bit of tax and you have that money now grow tax-free going forward in your tax-free savings account and it decreases tax to you eventually and or your estate for future tax burdens. So that makes a bunch of sense there. Or maybe you have more expenses next year, such as trips, which is the case for many of our clients. So we do this at the end of the year and just say like, is there any significant expenses coming up next year? Like right now we're going through with a few, they've got some pretty good trips planned. I love hearing that. I love hearing retirees spending their money 
for their go-go phase of retirement because that's what you're supposed to be doing. Of course, they're able to do it because of the amount that they have. But I just, I love hearing when they're actually spending the money on the retirement and taking these big trips they they actually planned for. So anyways, back to, I'm getting a little off track here. Um, when we know there's significant expenses coming the following year, well, maybe you want to take some of that money now and split it over the calendar years. Or you had a lower income year this year, and maybe next year you have potential higher income, and you would rather split the larger amount you need for the upcoming expenses by taking some or all of it this year, as opposed to having some in next year when your income may be higher, and or splitting it between two tax years, taking a lump sum now for 2022, and then the other lump sum in 2023 for the expenses in 2023 versus taking it all next year. So basically, now for this to be ideal in these current markets, it would be great if you're taking a, a chunk of change from your RIF. It'd be great if you had a cash wedge in your portfolio. And I've mentioned this in previous podcasts that a cash wedge in the RIFs is important because this is an area in the portfolio or the area in the, in the RIF for anyone that withdraws income that it's a safer part of the portfolio. It's a safer wedge in that portfolio pie. The reason is this is where you take the income from in a down market since if you can, you don't want to be cashing out the more aggressive part of the portfolio, because right now in this market, it's going to be down more. So if you can pull the money out of a safer part of the portfolio, which is the cash wedge, to generate the cash or the income that you're going to need, that's great because then it, it avoids you taking out parts of the portfolio that are down much more. And I've explained that in other podcasts. It's just important to have that cash wedge when you're withdrawing income on a regular basis from the portfolio. Anyways, tax planning, it, it's very, very important, but you still have to look at everything as a whole to see what makes sense based on your personal situation of markets. It, you don't just focus 100% on the tax. It's, it is extremely important, but you got to look at everything as a whole. And that's obviously where financial planner comes into a big part of this. Anyways, uh, that's there you have it, Patrice. That's just some of the end of the year tips I wanted to just touch on just specifically registered accounts for people this year. And of course, if anyone has any questions, you can just go to our website, greenprivatewealth.com, and uh, you'll be able to find my contact information there on the Teams page. And you're anticipating my question of how people could reach you. Again, they may notice this is a new address, a new website. Why don't you give it one more time? Green, like the color, privatewealth.com. And then if you go to the contact page or team page, you'll see my picture there and contact info. And yeah, you can get a hold of me just through that. All right. Great, Chris. Thank you so much. Lots and lots of information in this podcast to digest. So be prepared for the new year. And by the way, follow the podcast, share with others. They will probably benefit from it too. And thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. All comments are of a general nature and should not be relied upon as individual advice. The views and opinions expressed in this commentary may not necessarily reflect those of Harborfront Wealth Management. While every attempt is made to ensure accuracy, facts and figures are not guaranteed. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing or tax advice. Please seek advice from your accountant regarding anything raised in the content of the podcast regarding your individual tax situation. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.